The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Get On Board, our recommended game of the week, discuss strategies for running multiple games at once in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our High Five Contract Fulfillment Games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doko Teki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? Oh, great. Another awesome day. How about you, Doug? I am good. Looking yeah. forward to the to the podcast. A lot of stuff going on. Although my follow-up from last week, nothing from Roll Camera this week. Nothing. nothing. Okay, so that streak ends at three weeks in a row I, for I believe so. It's I like was one of keeping those, track. I was waited with bated uh, breath. How, how many days in the workplace without an accident <laughs> yeah. is how many episodes three. can you get through without talking about Roll Camera? Uh, so what else is new? Or is that a follow-up? Because the follow-up is that <sighs> we didn't have a follow-up. So is it three or four? I think because I'm not directly referencing any in the game, I think okay. it ends at three. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> All right. What else is new? Well, it, it's back-to-school season for us yep. in our house. So kiddos are back to school. Last week was in-service week for my wife, which is always a very busy, busy time in teacher households. Uh, so just new routines and new seasons. How about you? Yeah, more of the same. I mean, we, you know, my wife likes to basically shut everything down the first week of school mm-hmm. as our children become monsters, getting used to that new schedule of a full day of occupied time. So we keep it pretty low key. Surprisingly, I have gotten some games played. Isn't that interesting? Is, when it, things are low key, games get to the table. Uh, yeah, but oddly busy that I'm actually surprised I got games to the table. What'd you play? Uh, well, I played a game of Unlock, nice, which was really fun, and we obliterated the time. You know, there's 60 minutes, and I think it took us about an hour and a half, so it was just Whoa. me. Uh, you know, a couple spots where we got caught, and yeah. it's one of those things where sometimes I think three is maybe the ideal. You know, just... Three in, players? Uh, three players. Yeah. is uh, Unlock is one of those games where... There are certain puzzles, I think, this is my opinion on the game, is that there are certain puzzles that certain people are more adept or see quicker. And so with it, with two players, sometimes I feel like I get in that trap where there's we're just not seeing it. Yeah. And when you have that third player, sometimes somebody's always got a different idea. And But it's still a great game to watch, especially playing with kids and watching them put together puzzles that I'm like, how did you see that? Now, who'd you play with? I played with Emily, okay. so so my oldest uh, daughter. So that one was good. Um, I played the Animal Guessing Game, also oh, known yeah. as Concept Kids Animals, with the, the, the four-year-old, uh, which was funny. There was a moment in which she was digging through the animal cards to select, <laughs> one, to select one out, and she goes, oh, rhinoceros, great, <laughs> and then starts putting the clues out on the board. And she put gray first. I go, is it rhinoceros? And she goes, you, you can't guess yet. <laughs> and then she goes, it lives in the savanna and puts another thing there. I go, is it a rhinoceros? And she goes, yes, as if she had never tipped me off that of what it could awesome. possibly be. So that was, that was fun. And then got to play a quick game, a little learning game of 
a newly acquired game, which is trekking through history. Yeah. That the Kickstarter for that arrived, and so I was able to play that. How about you? So I solo played trekking through history as well within the last 24 hours. I, I know we're going to talk a lot about that from Underdog Games. I'm very impressed with that game. Yep. I uh, had a lot of fun playing it, like the mechanics, like the system. I think it's going to be a game schooler Hall of Fame potential. I mean, there's so much going on in it. Yeah, and I got destroyed. <laughs> By Did you way. really? Yes. Okay. I play the solo variant on easy is really easy. So if okay. you ever need a self esteem boost, <laughs> just get the I'll try it out. Yeah. out and so it, I'll be what you're saying is I'll be playing every day, every morning <laughs> to start my day. No, but it's it's good. I I really like it, and I think the production. I was just really impressed with what's in the box for for the price. Yep. Uh, also, just want to catch up on some games that I've played recently over the last few weeks. Um, doo, 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 doo. Let me get to that spot on the run sheet. I played Trails, got to get that to the table, played it against mm-hmm. you. I thought the game played really well at two. That's from the Parks Universe Keymaster Games. Yep. I don't have the name of the designer in front of me. I want to say Henry Autobahn, but that's, that's off. correct. Okay. Yep. I, I really liked that that little game as well. I think we'll be talking more about that in the future. And then we in my house, we've been playing some Tapple. And mm. I'm trying to play, but a lot of it is when I'm making dinner or getting stuff ready, and they're they're playing without me, Doug. Yep. So, uh, must be back to school season, and then get on board um, with. And the there's a lot of hooting and hollering up. going on in the background. Yeah, and that's yeah, playing, there right? really is, and you feel the timer going. And uh, I've been bringing up the rule of challenging in Tapple, and I know we talked about it last week, but. Some people are making up words in my house or making mm. associations that I don't always agree with, but good creativity. Uh, <laughs> From that one time that nobody else was there, yes. that one time happened, so of course those two words are related. Absolutely. And apparently everything can be a pizza topping <laughs> or a, a tire could be breakfast food. So uh, Tapple recommended game of the week. Was that just last week? Yes. I think, yeah. So back in episode 85. and then Way get, back when. Yes. Get on board is the other game I've played a, a little bit the last uh, week or so, just getting ready for this episode, and I'll, I'll save it for the episode. Okay. I uh, want to remind everybody to spread the word about the podcast. Michael and I were talking this week, and we have kind of come to the conclusion that there's at least one, one full-fledged gamer in every school. Yes. Uh, in the faculty. Yes. Uh, one faculty member is, is some sort of gamer. And let's try and... Get the word out to those people so we can get uh, one one faculty member in every school in the country in the yep. United States. Uh, and, of course, abroad, that's fine, too. But just to spread the word about what we're doing and, and get some more of those gamers into to the concept of game schooling and, and what we're trying to do here. So if you know somebody like that that's interested or, or you know, a gamer that plays with their, their family uh, looking for a, a game group, one of those type of people, somebody new into the hobby that's just revved up, has got yep. that new gamer enthusiasm, share our podcast with a, with them. We try and um, have an approachable, pro- trying to be an approachable podcast for those new gamers and to be welcoming and um, try to avoid as much of the jargon as we can. And if we do use jargon, we're trying to explain it. So Spread the word. Let us let them know about the podcast. Yeah. We'd really appreciate and that. The other thing I appreciate are the emails. We yeah. really do appreciate the emails. Uh, they they roll in, and we try to respond as quickly as we can. And so, thank you for letting us know what you enjoy and also what you disagree with. I, I love nothing more than getting an email where there's some pleasant banter in there, and people are making 
Very, very good points. Um, have you acquired anything lately, Doug? That's a, a question we haven't asked. Is just anything just the trekking in? through history is the only thing that came in. I've got a couple of, I got another Kickstarter that's coming later this ooh, week. Ooh, but do tell. Uh, I'll You're tell you when it? I get it. Okay, okay, can't wait. Well, <laughs> maybe I, three years from now, even though I have the tracking number. We just wrapped up our um, summer coupon code, I guess, with Noble Knight, right? Yep. We had a little three month extravaganza there where you could use a coupon code that no longer exists. So sorry, but I, I did on the last day take advantage. <laughs> I got four titles. W- one of the titles was one dollar. So with 10% mm. off was 90 cents, and that is the game Hats. So I, it was on my want-to-play list. Um, are you familiar? Is that, like, is that, is that a wallet game? Or um, no? I don't believe so. I it, think it's a real-deal full game that when I – I was just going through my entire want-to-play list on Board mm. Game Geek, and that one came up as a dollar. I was like, ah! <laughs> so – Hats, and then um, I'll let you so know it hasn't got, arrived yet. Oh, okay. No, I just put the order in um, day before yesterday. I feel so. like that's a like one of those wallet or, or pack of games type no, things. No, it's from Board Games and Tables. I think it's a, a smaller box, quarter size, but I don't know. I'll let you know when I get it. Hmm. And then For the King and Me, which is a yep. re-implementation of Biblios. That one was not a dollar, but still at a very good price. And uh, did you get did you get that used? The, um, for the king and me, or, or no, no? That one's in the shrink. Okay, and then also in the shrink, I got diamonds, second edition, a game that that you own, a trick taking game, and then the the one that I'm just ecstatic about for a sweet price is Red Seven. Mm. Um, and these are all games that we've talked about a little bit, but two of the games for sure are on our recommended list. We have coming up, so looking forward to playing those and talking more about them. All right, and Michael mentioned you know reaching out to us and getting emails. So just a quick reminder to contact us with questions, comments. Email at gameschooler.com is where you can reach us. Uh, there's also a contact uh, form on the website. So if you go to gameschooler.com, you should be able to reach out to us there. We love hearing from our listeners for questions, comments, rude remarks, anything that you want to send over to us. We greatly appreciate it. Um, and we do have some stuff coming up with Noble Knight in the future that will, as it draws closer, we'll let you in on on some of that type of stuff that's coming up there as well. So uh, just because the code is over for now does not mean that it's going away forever. uh, And we may be able to to launch something later and we've got some other stuff in the works. So anything else before we move on? I think we're ready. All right, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Get On Board by Yellow. Doug, give us the stats. All right, we will be referring to it as Get On Board. The topic or the the box art says Get On Board New York and London. We'll yes. explain what that means in a little bit, but published in 2022, that's this year if you're listening to us the moment this episode drops. The designer is Sashi. The art is by Monsieur Z. 2 to 5 players, 30 minutes, ages 8 and up. Board Game Geek says 10 and up. The complexity rating is a 1.87 out of 5 on the complexity scale, 
and this re-implements an older game called Let's Make a Bus Route, uh, which is originally not available in the North American market. It was republished as Get On Board New York in London by Yellow. According to the publisher, in Get On Board New York and London, you have 12 rounds in which to build the best bus line in town. Each round reveals a new card that shows each player the route shape they must complete. Place your bus accordingly on the central board. Take passengers where they want to go by connecting them and their destination to your bus line. Avoid traffic and gain as many victory points as possible. So the way that this game works is everybody gets a color. With that color, you're going to get... 32 route markers, which are essentially just little pieces of wood uh, to create your bus route, your line. You're also going to be, this is a game that kind of combines a roll and write and a game board. So you're going to get your, your sheet on it that tracks the passengers that you pick up along the way. Now, the New York and London, that has to do with the number of players. So on a two to three player game, you're going to be using the New York side. Four, player, four or five player, you're going to use the London side. You're going to get, there are common objectives out, so hitting different landmarks for everybody. Those are available. And then there's also a personal objective, which is uh, two places or three places to connect uh, that you can score more points at the end of the game. You're going to pick out a starting location. From there, you're going to be laying your bus route out. It can never intersect back on itself or you lose and are completely out of the game. Um, the way that it works, there are 12 rounds. Those are 12 tickets that are revealed. And as they're revealed, you are going to mark off where that ticket is on your board, which has a number of rail sections or, or bus route sections and curves. So it's basically kind of like a little polyomino shape that you're going to be making your bus route out of and laying that on the board. The kicker is that everybody's got different shapes for those right. numbers. So when the number one card comes out, I may be putting two two markers in a row in a straight line, and Michael may be putting may a have curve. A right, yeah, I might have a right-hand turn. Yep. Um, so you're going to be placing those out, and then each intersection either has people or buildings. Uh, there are four different types of people that you're going to be trying to pick up, students, um, well, actually, I'll start with the grannies. Order, yep. The grannies are the easiest. You pick them up, and for every granny you pick up, you're getting points. So the more grannies you pick up, the more points you get. The students, you pick them up, and those are going to score for however many students you get along with how many uh, schools you visit. So that's going to be a little multiplication thing at the end of the game, the number of students multiplied by the number of schools that your bus route visits. There are also tourists. You're going to fill up the tourists from left to right in little rows. Once you get uh, meet, once you get to a tourist attraction, you then you score. Yeah. You score those tourists, and the business there's businessmen that work the exact same way. So uh, you are going to fill up a line, and then once you build uh, your bus right route connects to an office building, you will then score any businessmen that are on your bus, and you will now start a new route of businessmen. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, not visually. Um, no, that, that's good. Those are your main main kind of objectives that you're doing. Uh, that, those are the main that every player is doing. Yep. And then there are um, two objectives that are open and public mm -hmm. that everybody's trying to complete. So 
Uh, maybe it's pick up five different grannies. The first person that picks up five different grannies is going to get a 10-point bonus. The second person is going to get a six-point bonus. Yep. Um, and then each player also has a private route that they are trying to fulfill. So three yep. different areas on the board that you're trying to connect. And there's a, uh, you can place your bus route on a uh, share a space with somebody else's bus route, but it creates congestion and traffic, which then causes negative points. So you want to be the first one to to lay down on a road um, before other players, because as other players add on, they're going to start losing points. You can also lose some points by manipulating your um, the the route shape that you have. You can kind of manipulate that a little bit, but it's going to cost you negative points to do that. Yeah. If there's a, a situation where you're like, I don't really want to go in that direction, or, you can or sacrifice some points to do that. If your bus runs into itself, if the route collapses on itself, that's lighting the fuse. The game is over. So there's for you for for me. Yeah. Yes. You so will not score your points. Those negative. Okay, I'm going to take a negative one so that I can get out of here and go straight to, instead of taking this right angle turn yep. and, and exploding. Yep, so, so. you've got uh, a little bit of ways to, to manipulate what you have. And then the way that turn order goes is that there's an inspector, a little inspector hat token that gets passed around. So uh, in a four-player game, everybody will have three turns as a start player. So it's not always the same person getting to lay down their track on the game board uh, at the, that's, that's going to change from round to round. So that is the game. What do you like about it, Michael? Well, when I first played it at the convention a few months back that you and I were at, I thought it was awesome and I couldn't wait to get it. When we played it at game night, I thought it was awesome and I couldn't wait to get it. And one thing that I wanted to put stats on, it seemed like it was very quick to set up. So when I got the box out of the shrink, as we say in the industry, <laughs> guess how long it took to remove the plastic and to get the game set up? From you're talking about from unboxing a new version. Unboxing a new version to being to ready table. to play it at the table. Assuming you've already read the rules of Correct. Beforehand. I know how to play the game. Two, two, two minutes. Yeah, 97 seconds. Yeah. So that is something that I just think I don't really reflect on or talk about a lot, but it's something that I'm starting to think about more and more. If you're playing it with kids who might have a shorter attention span or if you have a very, very short amount of time. This game sets up quickly. It's beautiful. The other thing that I love about it, and we've talked about this on a lot of games, it starts off wide open, right? Oh, Doug flips out a two. A two allows me to go straight three. That's awesome. And then by the third or fourth turn, the board starts to collapse on itself. Yep. And so that tension builds and builds and builds throughout the game. Yeah. I love that, Doug. I love how that works with the combos. I love the muttering that comes up when people realize, oh, I'm not going to be able to connect my three, so I might as well go after the other objectives. It is a game in which people will naturally tell people what they're trying to do, um, at least yeah. in the games that, that I've played. Yeah. How about you? Well, and there's the there's certainly that, that tug of war of do I um, – do I avoid congestion or embrace it <laughs> or go into it to 
compute complete whatever objective. There's there's been times when I'm playing where I'm like, I really need to go after that, but I really don't want to lose all the points to get there. And then and, and pivoting yeah. at that throughout the game. And in a two player game, you cannot on the New York side. How do you avoid congestion? You're going to run into a traffic jam. The board is so compact that if you're trying to get your own objectives fulfilled, you're going to run through the other person's route. Well, and, and on the two-player board, there is built-in congestion already on the board. Yeah. So you're already fighting against a, a, a invisible player that's adding congestion. Uh, the thing, One of the things I really like about this game is the roll and write board game combination, mm -hmm. which has been done in a couple of games that I can think of, like Sonora has a roll and write uh, that that marking out on a board and and taking notes with a game. But this is the first one that I've played that I felt like had a full board game experience, right? With the jotting down and and keeping track of where you're hitting and which which uh, locations you're. Picking people up and dropping off, that type of thing. Well, I, I don't know. We haven't talked about this, but I feel like I have more control than I actually have. And I think that's because there's only 12 tickets. Yeah. So especially in that mid-game to end game, in my mind, I'm like, well, I know the three or four possibilities, but then the game just seems to, like I said earlier, collapse on itself. Yeah. It's like, uh, I well, don't know where to go. I'm going to go there. Yeah, well, and as those tickets come off, you're marking them off on your player sheet. So you know, like you said, which ones are coming up. You yeah. don't know which order they're coming up, but you have an idea. It's like, I don't have any more. Like, it gives me a sense of false control. Straight, really straight three enjoy. left. Um, I love the art style in this game. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a sucker for uh, games that really go hard into a, a theme and an art style. And this has the 1950s, uh, 60s art style wrapped around everything. And they've got little details in there. Like there's, uh, the tickets are punched for those 12 round right. markers that it's like, they so serves no purpose in the game whatsoever, but it really adds to that level of of theme, the little wooden stoplights too. That could yeah. have been a plastic chunk, but it, it's it, wooden to go with the wooden pieces, and yeah, everything it feels just, good. Yeah, it does really well. I, I love that. This is what I would call roll and rat, roll and write interaction done right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the um, the number of roll and write games that that I've played where it's essentially I feel like I'm playing a solo game and we compare scores at the end. Right. Maybe every once in a while there's a little bit of a race element to like, oh, you completed that objective first, so you get more points. This one, that board gives you the interaction throughout the game that well, you're not just playing, paying attention to your own player sheet and comparing at the end. And within the... Within the combinations, there are additional combinations. For example, the bottom three students are interns, so they cannot just be delivered to the university. They need to go to well, an you office. Yeah, you, you acquire you them. them up. Yeah, you, you acquire them by filling up a full bus of businessmen and dropping them off at the Get, office, getting other bonuses. It's like so a bonus. Yeah. What I like about this, even though playing it a half dozen times over the last few months, I'm still. Every game is different, and there are some rolling rights and flipping rights that when I play them, I feel like I just fall into the same routine and try the same two or three strategies. And the replayability of Get On Board, especially because I seem to be playing it with different people every time, yeah. no two games have been the same. 
even if I'm looking at objectives and, okay, I need to pick up five grannies, I need to get five business people, uh, it doesn't work out the way that I plan on having it go at the beginning. Yeah, well, you've got a different, potentially a different starting location, a different mm-hmm. personal objective, and the big wild card of what order your your route pieces are coming out, you know, which you can't control. So that all that variety, you know, the, the puzzle remains the same, but it feels very different every time you play it. Yeah. Um, it certainly doesn't overstay its welcome, which is another thing that I like. It's 12 rounds, and those 12 rounds go fast. Whether you're playing a two-player or a four- or five-player, you know, you're in the game, and it's it's going. You've got enough to process and keep you busy that to me it, it flies by in a flash. Absolutely. The New York side, when I've played it with my, my family, seems to be about 20 minutes, pretty yeah. consistent 20 minutes. Any um, any concerns? Yeah, I have two concerns. Uh, although you know the game is only 20 minutes and it's incredibly intense in a compact game, as attention builds from round to round, players are going to have to work through challenges. And with that instant quit mechanism, it's something to keep in mind that there are some some gamers that will just pull the plug and run into the bus and say that they're done. You have hmm. to be able to work through a little bit of a challenge uh, within that. So just keep that in mind and know the game style. If you're playing with people who tend towards chaos or tend to, I don't want to say try to ruin the experience for others, but it's just a note of caution. There aren't mm-hmm. many games that we've recommended that have that instant quit mechanism built into it, which I didn't even think of. Until my oldest kiddo, Josie, that's what she did. The the tension just got a little bit too much, and it was, I can't get my objective. I can't get any of the other two objectives. Ah, I'm done. So just a rage quit. Exactly. Yeah. And in in video games, you know, we see that all the time, but in board games, not always. And the other thing, um, the board does get crowded. And yeah. you and I talked about this offline when we played it after a, a game night, so I hope I'm not taking any of your bullet points yeah, here. Yeah, that's but, my next one. So. Okay, sorry, Doug. But especially <laughs> in the, in the once you get to four people and you have grown adults with sausage fingers or shaky hands, um, you know, I got a little bit of the crooked knuckles going from broken finger. It gets a little awkward and crowded on that board moving around, but yeah. those are the only two that, that I have. Any nitpicks for you? No, I just had that the, and this is not even that on the, I have that the board can get busy with the idea of like, there's a lot of components jammed on the board, not visually, visually, not necessarily as a clutter mechanism, but more of just like, it can be like, where is everything can get congested. Like it it gets congested. That being said, I was amazed that, you know, when we played this, for for a color deficiency thing, it didn't seem like you were having didn't issues. Didn't bother me one so, bit. I take the yellow bits and I go and I go hard and I don't care what anyone's doing around me. I'm playing to win and get my combos. Yeah. And not once was I thinking, "Is that blue?" I don't care about the maroon pieces. Um, and I, although I, I talked about the congestion, there's a lot of game in a little box. This oh yeah, it's not a big box. Yeah, it fits nicely on 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 a shelf and uh, yeah. So as far as, you know, one of the things that we've been adding, I think, as we've gone along is this idea, of, or I've written it down, is the idea of, like, the best fit. Yeah. Where does this game fit best? And in my opinion, this is going into after-school programs, 
uh, club. Uh, it's a great library game. There's no noise. Took all my bullets. And awesome for a family game night. This is not one that you're going to... St- I don't think you're going to see set up in a classroom corner cubby to get pulled out. There's a little bit more explanation that's required yeah. uh, just to get set up and rolling. And and it is one that I think requires probably that first playthrough just to get used to... Uh, how the mechanisms work together. It is one thing that I do appreciate about this game is that a lot of roll and writes, and certainly it seems to be more of the games that are coming out now as maybe a, some of them in the past seem to have like these triple and quadruple bonuses that I do a bonus here and then that triggers a <laughs> bonus there, which then goes over there. And then I get a fifth bonus over here, which then I'm trying to remember what I did the first thing. This doesn't really have a lot of that. Right. And I think that when you're playing that solitaire game, like those other type of roll and rights where those things are happening, it's like, are you. It's are not you sure? the bookkeeping of a Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. Or even, you know, even the dinosaur roar and right that I talked about a few episodes ago. There's, it's not intense bookkeeping. You might no. get a bonus that triggers a bonus on another side of the sheet, but that's good happy times and you're brought back right back yeah, into the game. It's, it's right? not that big circle loop of bonuses that then mm-hmm. you're, you're looking across the table and like, did they really get that or do they not? You know, and, and even as a teacher, like keeping track of what every kid is doing is like, and I'm not sure what you're doing on your board over there, but I guess that all makes sense. There's that that level that can happen in a lot of roll and rights, and that's not in this game, which is is awesome. That's a good point. Yeah, the only other thing where I would add where I think it's a perfect fit, upper elementary or lower middle school, if you are in a part of the world where indoor recess is a thing because of nasty weather, because of the setup, once people do know how to play. Yeah. So as Doug mentioned, and I think you're spot on, you need that adult teach the first time through. You you really need a, a teaching and learning game. But once you figure out the system and how it works together, um, this is a game that can be set up and taken down in under a half hour. We don't have a ton of those that we've recommended. Yeah. So. All right. Well, every week, uh, Michael and I like to point out some skills that we think you can pull out of a game like this. It may not seem like this is educational, but we disagree. And so Michael and I have a list of five each. We'll see if there's any crossover. Uh, what's the first on, on your list, Michael? First core skill that I brought to the party is problem solving. Wrong. A game that rewards <laughs> players for finding solutions to simple or complex problems. I don't think I need to say any more than what I've already said. The entire game is it starts out like a beautiful word problem in math where you can just make things up and then you get quickly into it and you're like, oh my goodness, I really have no idea what I'm doing here. I hope the teacher just allows me to get away with this. And the tension really builds. And so having to stay in the present moment to sort the problems, like, no, just lay down two pieces and you hit a green light, that's a third piece. Your turn is now done. So I've actually gotten into more of a commentator mode when playing this game with people for the first time. Almost like, not not a coach, not encouraging, but just commenting like, now it's time to move along. Set down the pieces, your turn is over, we're okay, your train's still going, or your bus is going forward. This is one of those that it reminds me of 
the first turn is like running in an open field of wheat. And then in the fifth turn, you're in Times Square without a cell phone. Now tell me about that, Doug. <laughs> tell me about the time that you ran in an open field. You can imagine wheat. it. You can imagine it. <laughs> and then you wound up in Times Square without a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no fair so for the So do you have problem solving on your list? I do not. I okay. have decision making, a game that allows players to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. Um, every round... You have that decision of. Where I didn't know they were mutually exclusive. You cannot that? have problem solving and decision making. You ha you must make a choice between the two. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no I was teasing you. Um, so every round you have to pick out which route you want to, you know, how you want to orient it. But then you also have those things like: Am I going into congestion? Am I going to manipulate it so I can get a different shape? Um, am I going to pick up these people or pick up those people? You know, so there's all those little variables that you've got to make decisions on that I think this is a great, and the game moves so fast yeah. that it's like you get to make crunchy decisions fast. It's, yeah. it's one of those where there's crunchy decisions, but not to the point where it slows down the game because people are like, well, I could do this, I could do this. But like, then you might do this, which yeah. then will allow me to do yeah. that. Yeah, you, you've got basically three different directions you could potentially go, and as the game goes on, two of those are going to be blocked off. So you kind of know where you need to go. But I, I like that, that there is that crunchy element without bogging down the whole game. Yeah. The other decision point that I really like, some of the tickets have two different options. Yes. In getting to choose, am I going to make the right-hand turn twice or do the little U-curve? Yeah. And nobody's aware of the the level of pain that that decision is causing mm -hmm. me in the moment, but I like that tension. It's a well, fun it, tension. Yeah, it leads, I'm going to just butt in here, but it cuts into the, my next one, which is processing information, a game in which players must examine or analyze information. Um, and I think that's just the, that's what leads up to that decision-making, right? You have to, to weigh your options and think about it uh, before you're making that decision, and that's analyzing everything that's yep. on the board. So That's good. Uh, my next skill that I want to talk to our listeners and you about is resilience, a game that teaches players how to quickly recover from and cope with difficulties. So I just played this game last night with Josie and her friend, and there was a lot of muttering and screaming, and I'm never going to get my objective. And... I didn't want to go into full dad mode and be like, hang in there, guys. Everything's going to be okay. But there's a level of resilience. Anytime that I've played the game, I'll speak for me, where I want to do something and I can't do what I want to do. Oh, just that little bit of grit is required in a very good way. I'm fine with mediocrity, so I don't get <laughs> I don't get, you don't bogged, get hung up on bogged it. down. I very quickly on the. I the want couple. to do all objectives. I know, and I I've gotten the thing. I don't know that I've ever completed my personal objective once. Oh, and okay. I very quickly I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. I haven't had a game move, where I've gotten all along. three. So so um, cool. Yeah, and the next one I've got is uh, logistics, a game that allows players to manage production flow between the point of origin and consumption. You know, this is happening in multiple points throughout the game, whether it's your personal objective or those public objectives is figuring out how I can get my bus to pick up five grannies and get that reward. Or I've picked up three businessmen. How can I drop them off at an office? So you have to figure out how that route wraps around and where you can use the the pieces that you have in order to get and complete the objectives that you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. 
Uh, next skill for me is time management, a game that improves a player's ability to organize and plan how long they spend on specific activities before running out of time. By about the third turn on, there's a tension that is palpable at the table. And I, I don't think I need to say a whole lot more than that. There's not a sand timer. There's not a clock. There is only just 12 little tickets with beautiful little punches <laughs> in it. And as that pile is dwindling down, there's so many things I want to do. Ah! So that's a skill that I don't know if it gets improved or developed, but it is a skill that can be reflected on and talked about, especially in repeated plays of this game. It's how could you do that differently? How could you do that better? What would you want to do? What one turn would you want to have over? It leads into so many interesting discussion points. Well, so. and I think there's a difference, too, between the idea of a, a constantly ticking timer and the idea of being aware of time mm -hmm. and that you only have six more turns. It's like that that observation while it's happening as opposed yeah. to um, there's a set end point uh, type of thing. So, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, the last one I have is tactical thinking. Actually, it's not the That's last good. one. No, we um, have two more each. <laughs> a game that challenges players to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. So this happens when there's that turn order. And you think you've, you know, everybody, we flip over that ticket card. Every no, everybody knows what shape they're using. And then there's that moment where somebody puts a route right where you thought you were going to go. And now right. you have to say do I want to go into that congestion or not? Right, because do I each, still want to do what I think? Each overlap is a potential negative point. There are buses where they're not always one negative point, but they add up. Yeah, so those things where you're kind of pivoting to, all right, I want to go there, but now I don't. What's You said tactical yeah. for that? Okay. Yep. And I have spatial perception, a game that strengthens a player's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. Very similar to what Doug just talked about with tactical, but it's the, I, the the one thing that we haven't touched on yet that is in this game that we probably should have mentioned much earlier. There's a little bonus that's so much fun. When your turn ends at a green light, you get mm. one additional little wood piece that goes down. And so if you can see where those lights are at and end your turn so that you are hitting lights, Essentially, you are going to get plus one, plus two, plus three turns if you, not that you're going to be able to min-max all of them, but just seeing how the lights work along with what you just said with being tactical is where the spatial perception in this tight little board is different than in some other games that we've talked about. Yep, and that's uh, my last skill as well, spatial perception. Okay. So I think that's a it's a great one, and certainly as that board fills up, it, it becomes a, a greater challenge okay and i have one more and i'd love to hear you weigh in on this as well and that's competition a game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal or a reward that isn't shared earlier in the segment you talked about there's more interaction in this flip and write than other roll and rights flip mm -hmm. and right set we've talked about in our high five maybe even recommended do you feel like there's a healthy level of competition in this game or is it still more individual i'm just competing against me and my board I think I think there's interaction, but I don't necessarily know that it, for me personally, leads to a large level of competition. Okay. I, I feel like there's not enough where it's like, if you put a route down, rarely are you ever putting it down to block me. It, it, it's more of a hindrance that pops up. 
So and even though we're racing for a couple of objectives, I don't really feel like there's a strong like, oh, I really got to beat Michael on this. It's like yeah. it, our personal objectives are probably way across the board from each other or different, you know, so we're we're both competing. So it's one of those, like I said, I think it increases interaction, which is awesome, but it does not necessarily, for me personally, increase the competition. Okay, and the reason why I asked, the games that I've played have been very close, mm-hmm. very, very close. And so that's where I feel like there's been a lot of, obviously, playtesting and development from an outstanding designer, but I do feel that there is a sense of competition, even if the competition isn't real, because the yep. games are close at, at the end of it. So yeah, it does a good job of feeling like you're competing against the game. Okay, and and the, those congestion points are popping up. That it's like those are obstacles that you have to deal with. It's just arbitrary that it's from a, another player as opposed to the board popping up yeah. with more congestion in that spot. And where you're a sucker for theme, I am a sucker for competition. Oh, so yeah. maybe I just feel feel the competition more than it's there. But those are my skills. He'll destroy you. He'll cut you down. Um, so that is our recommended game of the week. Uh, a great little game. Get on board New York and London from Yellow Games. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas, we hope, in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing strategies for running multiple games. At once. At once. Yeah. I, w- I was getting there. I oh, was that's a d- yeah. dramatic dun, pause. Dun, dun, dun. Little ellipses into the The, mo- at the once. more you know. Yeah. Um, so, Doug, this is something that you have done... A lot of, and I don't mean you're running 10 different games at the exact same time, but you you have definitely ran several game days, game nights, back-to-back-to-back-to-back games. You've taught five, six games in a row. So what are some strategies for running multiple games at once? Well, I think for me, this is, you know, going on that line of you're your running a board, board game club after school mm-hmm. and not, you know, you have 10 kids in your your club and your class, your you got two families over. You can't, you know, there's not enough ten player games. You're going to run out of games to play, so you have to divide up uh, in order to do that. And I think one of the hardest parts of that is how do you teach and get people set up quickly without wasting a whole bunch of time. You don't want five kids sitting in a corner waiting for you to teach something to somebody else and then finally get over to them. So. I mean, there's and there's a couple components to this, right? There's the teaching, teaching, playing, and, and cleanup is what I've mm. kind of broken it down okay. to. Um, so my ideas for teaching is cycle games so one group is playing games instantly while you teach another table a more complex game, then backtrack to the original table. So if you can get a game set up with somebody that's that's quick, easy to teach, and they're playing a, a, a 10, 15-minute filler game, to start, well, then you go and teach downforce to the other table. Then by the time you're done teaching downforce, you can go back to the game that was playing point salad and then teach them something that's going to, you know, one of those hour games or 40 minutes. So that idea of cycling, so you're um, scaffolding and layering. And it sounds like you're balancing time and complexity as you're cycling. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to wait to teach an hour game and have other people sitting in the corner waiting for you to teach them. Uh, the other thing I think is is taking advantage of student teachers. So you, if you have a kid that knows the game, have them teach their table. You know, so this is great if you have one of your kids is in the club. It's like, okay, you're going to go with this table and play this game because you already know. Then I'm going to teach this table. Well, guess what? Next week, that table's already to set yeah. to go to the game that they learned this week. And then you can pivot back to the other table so to teach them. So actual students to teach, not Imagine going to your that. local Imagine university that. and recruiting yes. uh, pre-service yep. teachers. Okay. Um, the other thing I think is important to when you're starting, because I think there's a whole process of, of cycling in games, new games, old games, that type of thing, is when you start, you need to start, if you're the leader of this group, starting with games that you know like the back of your hand. You do not want to go in with a game that you just got that's a new hotness. I can't wait to play this, and I'm going to read the rules to you, and we're going to learn this together. No, you need to have stuff. There's a time for that. But I really want to do the Ark Nova expansion in yeah, Game Club, you know, so, so getting there and starting it with games that you know, it's like, I can teach Ticket to Ride, no problem. I need to look up two things, which I would do beforehand. It's like, how many cards do people start with? And then let's go, yep. you know, that type of thing. Um, and I think part of that is is trying to mix in, you know, new games and to create that cycle is it's new for them this week. Next week, it's old for them. And they can just start playing that game. And you're teaching the other half of the group or another table a new game. So it's kind of a balancing of plate spinning. Yeah, what I like about your your cycle method it can scale up. It, it it works for 10 kids like you're talking about, but at the same time, if 30 kids happen to show up, you could still reasonably do the, the two-game option there. That's yep. good. What else do you add? So teaching? Yeah, so uh, and then I've got playing. Um, trying to avoid playing the game. If you're, if you're the teacher, you know... It, the most it, difficult part for me, Doug. This is not your time to, <laughs> to get in there and show your chops. Um, we play to win the game. I also think it's important to divide and combine players as needed. Yeah. You know, where it's sometimes there's like, I'll yes, I know. With my friend. Yeah, I know, I know all six of you want to play together, but we need to make this two, three player games mm -hmm. or divide, you know, just constantly, that can be a challenge. Re constantly rearranging those so you're getting the right play counts so people can play the game how they're you know you don't want two players like well you guys play two player we're going to try and play a six player game over here it's like that just doesn't work out and right. it's like if you've got nine people don't do a five player game and a four player game try and do three three player games and everybody's going to have a much better experience um i think i think as a leader hovering as a virtual rule book um being on hand to resolve disputes that may happen like well they tried to do this can they do that and you're doing that um and lastly if you're running it is the idea of if you ever offer suggestions on somebody's turn is make sure that you back it up with the why okay don't just say oh you should do this i think as an as a teacher as as a parent you need to then say this is why I'm recommending this okay. because this is happening. This is happening. So if you do this, so you're getting in and you're teaching those skills and getting them to think about how they may approach turns in the future. Um, I've seen so many 
people where it's just like, no, you should do that. You're going to get the most points. It's like, that's but that fun. doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the kids make that decision for themselves the next time. But I they think, don't know why. I think what you just said is such a good point for the previous statement that you made about dividing up groups. I think there is a time to use credibility and authority and just explain why, well, the game's going to be a lot more fun if you have two groups of three. One group of six, it's really going to slow down and that game's going to take all hour. But if you divide up into two groups of three, you're going to get to play two or three different games. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's good. Uh, the last thing I've got is cleanup and everyone should be involved in cleanup. Absolutely. So what about you? Do you got, what are your, you got any notes on this or? No, this is something I don't have a, a ton of experience at. When I ran a game club almost 10 years ago now, we would typically just start with one game, mm-hmm. and that was our game. So it would be an I choose, and then the next time um, the, the students would get to choose, and then that third time it's more of a cafeteria where it's an open choice. So, um, and, and even in, in that situation, I would typically just be sitting and teaching one game, and this is the game I'm going to teach today. If you have a different game you want to play, go ahead and do that. Um, but well, And I yeah. think that depends on size, right? I mean, if you've, yeah, got, if you've got four kids in your club, then a lot of these things are irrelevant. Well, and it was so easy. I knew the 15 kids that were going to show up every single Monday from 3 to 4 o'clock. I yeah. knew they were going to be there. And... So size and time are are two of the biggest constraints. I think they are even a bigger constraint than number of titles, the type of titles. If the kid, there are so many good games out there. Kids are going to want to play the games. They're coming to a board game club. Yeah, they're coming to a game schooling workshop. And so well, and I think the other thing too is just being aware of the idea of the people that are listening to this podcast are gamers. You know, that we have a, an audience of gamers, people that like to play games, people that like to try new games. Mm-hmm. Kids that are showing up for a board game club do not always have that same sentiment. And I mean, I see it with my own kids. I'm sure you see it with yours. It's like, yeah, we don't want to try a new game. We want to play the game that we know. And, yep. we, and, you know, and it's like, we're going to play that until the wheels fall off. Yep. You know, and so that's the other thing, too, is. You're a lot of people that are starting a game club or have it in their classroom. They're doing it because they are they are gamers, right? At heart, and not everybody shares that same level of enthusiasm. And it's not you don't need to get into the trap of feeling like I always have to have a new game every time. Yeah, you know. And some sometimes there's camaraderie and meta jokes and things that happen from playing the same game several times in a row. It's like. Well, of course, Michael's going to take that route. He always does. Yeah. You know, and those are jokes. Like my brother-in-law is like famous for, if there's a game in which you can collect money, he's gonna he will it. be collecting money. <laughs> it's like, I know he's taking that card because he's like, it's like Austin Powers. Like, I love gold. Like that type of thing, you know? So, but you don't get that unless you're playing games repeatedly. Yeah. The only other thing that I will say, because with the multiple games is this is, if you're somebody who really struggles with other people playing your games or inventory or what if uh, an, what if a meeple from one game gets put into another game, if that's, then you might want to really think about bringing in multiple titles into a setting uh, because I can remember clear as day playing the game Munchkin and a sophomore in high school bent a car. And I don't mean like 
just creased it. I mean, like it was a womp, and the card was completely folded over and looked at me, and I just thought, I've, I, I think I had a four-year-old and a, and a newborn at home at the time. And just, I'm used to that. That's right. Keep playing. And that moment sticks with me because it wasn't a big deal. I didn't That's make it. That's part it of your soul died. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> well, Munchkin's no longer in my collection because of that. But no, yeah. um, Resale you value just have to plummeted. expect uh, some of that. The games are going to get used when they're in a public setting. And I know that's a whole different school of gaming topic, but when you have multiple, you're, you're not going to be able to keep track of everything. That's yeah. the point that I'm trying to make. And so don't make that the thing. It's about engagement. It's about having fun. Boxes might get dented up in a corner. It's it's, gonna, yeah. it's a board game. Well, and you had mentioned the idea of you know playing several games in a day. You know, and then we've had games day, you know, here and and a, a game day where you're playing multiple games at once. And the idea of, OK, how do you prepare for that? How do you do the rules and, and things like that? And there's two parts of that, I think, is the idea is like every time that we have one of those, it's I'm mixing in new games with games that I know and know yep. how to teach. So it's not wall to wall, new, 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 new. Um, which is how that cycle process works. The other part is it's like a, a, a group of four guys getting together to play games for an afternoon from noon until midnight that are playing four or five games that are new. That's not the norm. That's not no. what's... And that that just reverts back to what I'm saying about like not everything needs to be new. Yeah. So it's like there shouldn't be that much rules overhead that needs to be managed Okay. As as the leader of of a board game club or a classroom or even family game night, like you shouldn't, you should be mixing in classics with new, so the new isn't overwhelming you. Well, be- and thinking back to some of the other points that you made, if the students are teaching, helping to teach, and if you as the adult are using proximity control and getting around the room, that takes away some of that burden as well of, uh, and pressure to yeah. get everything taught perfect. I mean, I, I think the idea of if you're going into a board game club with three brand new games that you've never played before that you need to teach the rules to, you are setting yourself up for a disaster. It might be the last board game club that <laughs> yeah, you're going yeah, into. Yeah, so uh, hopefully those are some some good tips. Anything else you want to add to that no, one? No, that's good stuff, Doug. All right, so that is our... School of Gaming, hopefully those are some good strategies for running multiple games at once. Let's move on to the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out, preferably not all at once during a game day. Uh, This week, we reveal our personal high five list of contract fulfillment games, which Michael and I had a... Who do we have to narrow this down? Some good discussion on. So there are a lot of games that have contracts or, and, and I think the idea of contracts would be, I'm spending resources to fulfill some objective. Yeah. Um, where sometimes that objective is building a house. Sometimes that objective is end game points. And if you put that in, there is a laundry list of board games that come up on Board Game Geek that fit under those type of criteria. We tend thousands. We narrowed it down to the idea of a contract is once you fulfill it, it's done. You put it away. You're scoring points. It's not necessarily something that's giving you uh, an ability throughout the game. It's yeah. I get it. It's done. I'm getting victory points. I'm scoring it. I complete a task and I move on a victory 
track during the game, or I complete a task and it's so obvious to everybody that I've accumulated these points. Yeah. Anything else that you narrowed or found interesting about your list? No, I mean, I tried to, well, interesting about my list. Every one of my games is recommended, a recommended game. Interesting thing about my list, all five of the games are recommended games. <laughs> That's <laughs> interesting. Have some overlap. We'll see if we have how much crossover we have. And I've got two honorable mentions, uh, and I don't think you've played them, so I'll just go, come out and say them right now. Stone Age is one of them um, in which you're you're turning in resources to get buildings, but they're just points at the end of the game, so they're not, not buildings that make a difference. And, and uh, The Voyages of Marco Polo mm. has has contracts that, that can earn you some big points. Well, I also have two honorable mentions. They're both heavier games. Neither one of my honorable mentions are recommended games of the week, so I'm going to riff with you here and just say what they are. Uh, the two heavier games, and I'm putting this on the list for our listeners, these are not great game schooler games, but if you have that advanced gamer and, and you're, you've kind of been thinking about, do I want to play that game? The first one is Tapestry. I've talked about it a few times. I absolutely love it, and I have a hankering to play it again. 2019, Jamie Stegmeyer, published by Stonemeyer Games. The weight on that is 2.91, and the other one is Chocolate Factory. 2019, Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert, published by Alley Cat Games. The weight is 2.89 out of 5. In tapestry you're building a civilization and moving around on four different tracks and you can't do you can do all things but you can't do all things at once and in chocolate factory it is a true um order fulfillment yeah you are just making chocolate and selling it to the factory a game that's in your collection i'm really yep. glad it's in your collection i hope you keep it in your collection <laughs> um that I think I've only played it one time, but it just made such an impact. It just stuck with me, and I've yeah. thought about it a few times since then. So yeah, those are the even, honorable mention ones. Didn't uh, even think of that one. Yeah, we should replay that again. Probably sometime. wouldn't have made my list, but it yeah, okay. it, well, it is if def- it makes your sale pile, I'll I'll, I'll take it home. No, just because of, a, of an approachability. Yeah, I, I would have. Yeah, I would. Well, have. and when you talk about the difference from a two point eight nine, which that game is, to the rest of ours on our list, there's really a big gap from yeah. Chocolate Factory to some of the five we're yeah, going to talk about Topping here. out at a 2.16 on my list. Yeah, and I do have one at a 2.78. It's number five for me on my list, and that's Honey Buzz 2020 release. Designers Paul Solomon, art by Ann uh, Heidsick, and published by Elf Creek Games. One to four players, 45 to 90 minutes, ages 10 plus. The weight is 2.78, the most complex on my list here. You are a bee, you collect different types of honey, and you sell those combinations to the market. If you want to hear more, check out episode 82, where it was the recommended game of the week. You will hear Doug and I gushing about that game for about 25 minutes straight because we (laughs) both absolutely loved it, the puzzly nature of it, how you're selling to the market, when you're selling to the market, all those different pieces. That was number five for me, Honey Buzz. All right. Yep, that is an awesome one as well. The... Uh, number five for me is a unique one that has actually been recommended three times on our recommended list. Wow. You got a got a guess for that one? I do, but keep going. <laughs> I'm taking notes. It was the 2004 Spiel des Jahres winner. Um, oh, we, Ticket we, to Ride. This is Ticket to Ride. We talked about it in episode two. We talked about First Journey in episode 24, and we talked about the City Series in episode 72. Uh, the original published in 2004 by Days of Wonder, the designers, Alan R. Moon. Two to five players, 60 minutes. Look at Doug getting a little One, bounce in his step talking about oh, Ticket geez. to Ride over there. <laughs> 1.84 uh, 
Uh, it's a classic for a reason. And I can't stand when people slag on on games like that or Catan. You know, it's like the amount of people that those games have brought into the hobby from casual gamers into hardcore gamer gamers is cannot be underestimated. So anyway, if that's number five on your list, I cannot imagine what is coming. (laughs) So (laughs) 2004 uh, ticket to ride. You are uh, completing train routes on a map of the United States and Canada for the original. There's a wide variety of different maps, but as you connect two cities together, you've completed that route and you get a new ticket and you're trying to complete that one. So you're fulfilling that contract and moving on. Uh, for the most part, you never look back at that original contract that you fulfilled. And that is my number five, Ticket to Ride. That is great. How many versions of Ticket to Ride do you think there are? And I Googled well, it, so... Yeah, um, you know, like as maps, soon as I say it, I'm going to say like 12 or 15. There are 27 different versions and a whole bunch of different maps on the complete list of Ticket to Ride board games. I, I can see how that's possible. I don't know. Uh, I'll come back and check that. Let me move on here, <laughs> getting back to my list. We'll follow up on that next week. Number four for me, it was in episode 50 for us as the recommended game of the week. And this is Funfair. The designer, it's a 2021 release. The designer's Joel Finch. And I think it's published by Lucky Duck. No, that no. is published by... The Good Games? Yeah, Good one? Games. Good yeah. Games. Okay. Uh, two to four players, 30 to 60 minutes, ages 14 plus. Board Game Geek says eight plus. I disagree with that. I think it's more of a 10 to 12 plus. Yep. Weight is 2.13 out of five. You're theme park designers and you're competing to build attractions for the best family day out. Great little flavor text from BGG there. But you're collecting cards to build awesome rides and your rides uh, score out bonuses. It is one of my top games from 2021. Just an outstanding uh, family weight game for me. That's number four, Funfair. Yeah, and that's got those blueprints that you're, you need to build specific rides to get get points at the end of the game. Those contracts are the, the blueprints of, of rides and attractions and upgrades and all that type of thing. Uh, my number four is a 2014 Spiel des Jahres nominee. Uh, we talked about in episode 23. This is a game all about collecting gems. Uh, that is Splendor, published in 2014. Space Cowboys designer is Mark Andre. Two to four players, 30 minutes, 1.79. I think this is the only one on my list that does give you some sort of benefit for completing the objective. Oh, so sure. as you're fulfilling these contracts, you're basically collecting gems to acquire gems which then you use to get more expensive gems and you keep fulfilling these contracts as you go and they're throughout beautiful the game. beautiful gems in that box yeah they're little poker chips <laughs> yeah um we go in great detail episode 23 but i love the way that that one escalates it's such a simple pure fulfillment of yeah. i collect these and then the way that that scales up and um scaffolds to where you can start getting more and more uh, valuable gems as the game goes on. So that is my number four, Splendor. Awesome. Awesome. Number three for me, we talked about a companion uh, game, at least designed by, published by the same folks. But number three for me is Trekking the World 2020 designers, Charlie Bink, and it's published by Underdog Games, two to five players, 30 to 60 minutes, ages 10 plus, 1.89 on complexity, 
you are traveling around the world to get monuments and trade in those monuments to pick up cards when you are on the location. For me, uh, this is absolutely, and I'm going to make Doug cringe a little bit, but this is my Ticket to Ride Killa. Mm. Ticket to Ride is in my collection. I have a few different versions. I, I don't have all 27, like the, it's the list <laughs> I'm looking at here, but where Trekking the World does things a little bit differently, it just plays a little bit quicker. Um, I, I, I just enjoy moving around the entire globe and trying to land on the just right spot to get the card before somebody else moves in and takes it. And episode 32 is where we talk about that game at length. I can't believe we've gone through five games here without any overlap and they've all been recommended games. It just shows you how many great contract fulfillment games there are for families and game schoolers. Yeah. It's a great one for, um, it's interesting because I don't necessarily think of it as a as replacing Ticket to Ride, but it does very similar stuff without the it, it eliminates that route building in yeah. a way, right? So and, why do you think I think that? Just do a little armchair. Analysis. I mean, it, it has the same. I think it's because that core mechanism of Ticket to Ride of collecting the colored cards to trade in to put your routes on is the exact same mechanism of trekking the world, yeah. which is collecting those different colored cards to trade in to collect the, the the sightseeing spots that you go to. Like that is the same mechanism, um, but it, it varies because in, in trekking the world, you're traveling around the board the with globe, your player yeah. pawn. And you're really moving. <laughs> and in Ticket to Ride, you're Set laying down track, you know? So it's it's got similarities, but it, the pivot is whether you do you want to do the moving your piece or do you want to build routes? Yeah. You know? Thank you for helping me to understand myself better, <laughs> yes, Doug. What, I do it. Yeah, it's one of my What do you have at skills. number three? Uh, my number three, uh, there's no way I can talk about this without giving it away, I don't think. And this is a game about uh, visiting the national parks. Uh, 2019 Keymaster Games. Parks. That's it. Yes, Parks is the game. Henry Audubon is the designer. One to five players, 60 minutes. This is the most complex game on my list. 2.16 out of five, according to the users of BoardGameGeek. And we talked about that in episode eight. Uh, And this is just a great game where you're collecting acorns and stone and, and using those to then go and visit national parks. And you collect those cards and you get points at the end of the game for it. So... Uh, and those cards are laid out. You have a couple that are in your hand that you can build from or or visit, and and some that are public on the board that you can uh, go to at any time. Which so, episode did you say? Episode eight. Eight. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Number two for me is Juicy Fruits, 2021 released Christian store published by Capstone Games in their family line. One to four players, 20 to 50 minutes, ages eight plus, 2.00 out of five on complexity. Listen to episode 70 from the Game Schooler website. And I repeat, from the GameSchooler.com website. Oh, shoot. Where did that text go? Well, I really messed that one up. I didn't control V it properly. Um, I digress. I'll have to come back to that. But we have a great little blurb on the Game Schooler website about Juicy Fruits. I was going to read it and pay tribute to Doug, but I can't even give my co-host a proper compliment here. Um, so in Juicy Fruits, and this is the same designer that did Pictures, which was a Spiel de Jars uh, winner very recently or within the last few years. But in Juicy Fruits, you're moving wooden pieces of fruit around the board and trying to 
um, go to the market and make sales. Doug, it w- sounds like you have something yeah. to read. Would you the, the yes. game schooler recommendation? Is that yeah. what you're yeah. Juicy Fruits from Capstone Games utilizes a slide puzzle as its core mechanism. By sliding baskets, you collect fruit, which is sold to travelers. Juicy Fruits has a unique combination of spatial perception mixed with resource management that requires strategic thinking to succeed. These complex interwoven skills are neatly packaged in a bright and easy-to-play game with chunky fruit pieces. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for reading your writing. (laughs) Do what Uh, I can. But... uh, it just amazes me that you know we're this far down on the list. We did not. We have no idea what each other are going to put on our list, and I don't think we've ever had this many recommended games. But the the Game Schooler database is starting to grow with each time that we do recommend a game. So go ahead and check out our website if you care to, and um, juicy certainly check out Juicy Fruits as a game for your family if you are consistently looking to add awesome titles that people of all ages can play. Yep, I had a hunch this was going to be on your list. It's not on mine. And we're finally going to get to the first crossover, which I I can't believe that both of us had five recommended games and we're only getting to our first crossover. And that is my number two, which is about traveling around the globe and visiting places on planet Earth, published 2020. Underdog Games, Charlie Bank, two to five players, 60 minutes, 1.89. That is Trekking the World in which we talk in great deal detail on episode 32. Awesome. Doug, any guess what my number one contract fulfillment game as we have narrowed the funnel for contract fulfillment could be? Uh, it's I, a recommended game. I don't want to guess what I have, okay. but it okay. could be that. Okay. Give me a hint. Give me a, a brief lead-in. Uh, Emerson Matsuchi. That is my number one. All right. I'm so, assuming. Go ahead. Go ahead. Century for, Spice yep, Road, yep. published in 2017 by Plan B Games. Emerson Matsuchi is a designer, two to five players, 45 minutes in a 1.779 complexity scale out of five. Century Spice Road, we talked about in episode 20, and that is the first game that I thought of making this list. Yep. Uh, in which you are racing to collect spices to fulfill orders that are at the top of the of the game board there. And it's it's just that simple transaction. Collect this. Fill it with gems. Grab yep. grab that and get the and you're talking about the golem edition. Yeah. I am. So we got the spice road. I was gonna talk about that. Cool. Um but yeah, so you're trading in resources to to get the the card with victory points. That's that's it. It's straightforward and it's a race to collect as many as you can and century Gollum edition is one that i have uh, played it at game night over here the first time i was invited to game night and went home and bought it um, i don't want to go into too much detail or depth but i can imagine that when i'm buried i am buried with century Gollum edition that <laughs> goes into the coffin with me because this is a game that my family loves I've played it with my oldest a lot. If I, if I pivot and look and I say, Josie, go pick out a game, she will often come back from the basement with Century Gollum Edition, and we mm. both light up. Uh, just a fantastic game that we absolutely did a deep dive on in episode 20. But folks, I'm telling you, it fits across every setting for anything that we talk about. Brings people together. You can play it quickly. Beautiful game. Beautiful production. That's my number one. All right. So Yours too, huh? Yeah, that is That's my number one. That's interesting. Out of the thousands of contract fulfillment games, we've First thing that popped century. into my head. Same, same. Um, and so there's eight games all recommended 
on our contract fulfillment games. That's the like first. 10% of our recommended games we just talked about. Um, so it was a good, good trip down memory lane. Uh, glad we narrowed that focus down because that can be interpreted a lot of ways. Um, but great list. So without further ado, let's remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And seriously, why not? You get it delivered directly to you whenever a new episode drops, which is Friday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU is our handle for both of those platforms. And last but not least, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and keep game schooling. (laughs) 